And welcome to the Pre-Snap Motion podcast episode number 18. My name is Chad Scott. With me as always is my friend, my buddy, Rich Rebar. Rich, what's happening, man? Chad, what's going on? As you are on vacation by the beach, I am here still in quarantine doing nothing. (laughs) But hey, we've got uh, training camp videos. It's starting to feel like a a little bit of normalcy back in our lives. Like usually this is what happens in June, but you know, it's happening two weeks before the season, in front of the season or three weeks. Uh, but it's starting to feel a little bit like normal, even though it's not, it's very abnormal times. But uh, hey, man, three weeks from t- Thursday, which is in two days from this, I'm recording it, uh, they'll be starting week one. Um, but yeah, hopefully we don't see a lot of injuries. It's been kind of a, a weird opening first few days. Mm. Definitely, we we expressed it. We were kind of worried about, you know, what this offseason, this condensed offseason could do. And definitely some some guys already kind of under the belt. You know, we already got the aj green scare like an hour in like they didn't even wait like aj aj green didn't even tease us that's yeah falling knives like happening right right? (laughs) yeah so i mean um we'll see how it goes though but it is starting to feel a little bit like it's it's, like very more real right now that the camps have opened yeah for sure and i do want to apologize i don't know we we're not even sure how i will sound when this actually gets gets put out but i don't have my you know my, my my blanket my tight end blanket if I was a quarterback in my blue my blue yeti microphone so we'll see how that goes um but before we get the get to the episode I want to remind everybody to go to sharpfootballanalysis.com make sure you're getting Warren's book uh you know we talk about every week it's it's just an amazing book you're going to learn so much just about football itself um so make sure you're going to pick it up. And then also while you're there, um, check out the fantasy content that Rich has. Um, he's continuing to do, I mean, almost on a daily basis over there. Um, you're, you're, you're grinding out the articles, Rich. It's, it's been a long off season for you, man. But uh, what, what do you have like coming up? That's huge. That's coming up next year. This week I've been doing all like statistical correlations and into scoring and into future scoring to kind of like tip some people out, some guys that are undervalued. Also, I've seen the first of the tools that will be available this year on the site. I have privied the first tool and it, it is, it, it came out pretty well. I'm very excited for it. It's a nice little heat map tool where you can see any player in offense though, where they're being targeted and you compare that to the defense they're playing that week and where the teams uh, get attacked the most and allow the most success. So that is pretty cool. That will be available uh, this week. We have a couple more tools in the pipeline that, uh, you know, uh, Big Daddy Warren is working on for us uh, to make sure the fantasy subscribers are happy. So definitely, you know, keep following all the work and checking it out. I believe tomorrow we'll have a, a free article on the site as well, too, to go along with some of the subscriber-based stuff. Uh, but check us out uh, because we are knocking on the door, and uh, hopefully some people do have some drafts going on. I know it's kind of a weird offseason. Maybe you're not in person. Maybe you're Zooming. Maybe you're getting online. Uh, but, you know, the drafts uh, should be coming here in the next couple weeks. It is, man. And, uh, you know, this, I guess you could say this podcast won't matter because we're going to be talking about running backs and obviously they don't matter. Um, but we've been, it matters the most. Right. Right. And so like, especially this year, I feel like, um, we've been kind of doing, uh, the last few episodes we've been doing these, uh, what we, what we can learn from ADPs and what we can learn, uh, as far as heading into 2020. And so we're going to be talking about the running back, running back position today, um, so let's just dive right into it. Um, so running backs, they've always been this perceived as a pay to play position. Uh, 
where are you at with that? And is there any merit to that claim? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at how the running back position is scored. Uh, running back ones or top scoring running backs are they provide the biggest positional advantage than any other position in fantasy football. And typically, if you want a good running back, the only way to get one is to pay a premium dollar for it, which we've seen on hyperspeed this offseason. But uh, you look at over the past decade, there have been 33 running backs uh, that have been taken in the top 48 running backs their position that year average 20 or more PPR fantasy points per game that season. 27 of those 33 have been running backs selected at the top 12 of their position that season. Just six have been uh, selected at running back 25 or later. If you do the math, 27, uh, 27 plus six is th the 33 I mentioned, which means so straight up front, we have not had a, a 20 point per game score over the past decade for running back that was drafted at slots RB13 to RB24, a typical what we would highlight as an RB2. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on a season-long scoring level, there have been 31 seasons over the past decade, regardless of where you've been drafted from, in which a running back has scored 300 or more PPR fantasy points. 25 of those have come in from a running back with an ADP within the top 12 or an RB1. Uh, four of those have come selected outside of the top 24. So we've got two of those guys in the RB2 range. Um, but there you see the, the big gap. Uh, these guys are coming from high-priced players. We are good at setting the top of the running back market, understanding where the high-leverage opportunities are coming come from. Uh, and the, all those guys aren't hits out of those top 12 picks, but you see when you lay out those numbers that if you want to have a high-scoring running back and a difference maker, which you do because they are the largest weekly and seasonal positional advantage over the context of their field, you've got to come up to the, to, up to the plate in the first couple of rounds and take one of these guys. Yeah. And this year it's like the top 15 picks. <laughs> right. Right, right. So, and we, I mean, we've talked about this before. And I mean, a lot of people have talked about this, but landmines all through rounds three through seven, if you're, if you're looking at running backs and that's why we're always advocating, you know, don't draft a, don't draft a running back in those rounds. That's where you want to, you want to go, if you possibly go running back, running back, you want to start just unloading on wide receivers. Oh, yeah. rounds, right. So, and, and this isn't our show sheet. So I'm just going to throw it in the curveball because that's what I like to do. Like, where's your cutoff? Like who, Where's your cutoff for like these running backs? If you're on an end of a run, uh, like Todd Gurley's, what are we what are we looking at? Like where you're just like, I, I can't I can't draft a running back here. I just have to start going wide receiver now. Yeah, mine is like right around my RB fourteen. So like maybe I can coax myself into two extra guys outside of that top twelve because maybe I believe they're top twelve. You know, ADP has kind of suggests that they aren't. But you've seen that that's the that's the trap zone. I mean, no. 20-point-per-game scores out of that RB13 to 24 group and just two 300-point scores for a seasonal level, that's not the area you want to be buying running backs. I tend to think the one guy that, like, in that area I talk myself the most into, and he comes with a lot of risk and, you know, um, can definitely be involved in that, is James Conner. He's, like, the one guy I can kind of talk myself into. He feels to me a lot like this year's version of last year's Leonard Fournette where he's got that injury discount in the back in the third round. Uh, but has that top five upside. You know, we've already know that Mike Tomlin wants to – he's coming out openly said he, he wants to have a bell cow running back and have one guy be fed the football. And anytime the Steelers have been able to do that under Mike Tomlin, they've done that, whether it be Le'Veon Bell to D'Angelo Williams to Connor himself. Uh, so, I mean, I'm willing to throw out a lot of what happened with the Steelers uh, out the window. But, you know, if Ben isn't healthy and, you know – 
uh, Connor can't stay healthy. This is a guy who's, you know, you know, missed a ton of time the past years. That's where you see that downside and that risk baked in. But to me, he feels like if I could get him as an RB2 and RB3 on roster, it feels like a, a spot that to take on some of the potential downside and play just for the one outcome. Uh, but he's like the one guy talking about some of you, but that's the trap spot, man. That's, that's not really an area you want to be dipping your toes in the water very, very often. Or if you do like, maybe I rephrase that you do want to just maybe dip your toes in if you're going to go into the water, but definitely don't get the, you know, waist level. Yeah. Right. Like don't, don't, don't <laughs> cannibal into that. Right. Like yeah. exactly, exactly. Um, so because we're paying such a premium, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that, think because they drafted Ezekiel Elliott, they have to reach on a guy like Tony Pollard. Um, so handcuffs, let's talk handcuffs real quick. Um, what's the common fallacy among handcuffs and what types of running backs or backup running backs should we be targeting in hopes of beating the market? Um, I know your answer is like, you, you don't draft <laughs> handcuffs, but you, you'll draft other people's handcuffs. So, so just give it to me, Rich. We'll give, give the people what they want here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's typically how I handle it. I mean, you think like a true sense of handcuffing for fantasy. It means you're selecting a running back attached to, you know, a high draft capital. And the running back that that well, lead running back would miss time. And then that backup running back would then be elevated into being the same caliber of fantasy status for that high price pick. Well, I mean, that's fallacy on a couple levels because one, that guy's already a backup running back for a reason. And he's not just going to hand it to that lead back's job. Uh, and then two, it just really hasn't hit, even on a ceiling level. Even if you're really attacking other guys' backups, which is what I would prefer to do to play for upset anyways. But uh, over the past decade, there have been 23 uh, seasons over the, uh, which an RB2 for a team, on his, or RB2 or lower on his team in terms of draft capital, has posted uh, an RB1 scoring season overall. Just six of those 23 seasons have come attached to a back, an RB1, that had an ADP uh, in the first round of, of drafts. And just and two of those were attached to Le'Veon Bell. Uh, so, I mean, you know, when you get the D'Angelo and Connor, who we just talked about, you know, two years ago, and Le'Veon ended up holding out. So, I mean, you're just not getting um, the bang for your buck like people really believe. For the reason, like I said, it's, I mean, one, those guys are backups for a reason. Typically, you, things turn into a running back committee. There's not a lot of these guys that, you know, open open the floodgates up if a, if a lead guy was to go down. So, 16 of those 23 uh, top 12 scoring seasons from those RB2s or lower uh, did come attached to a running back being selected in the fourth round or later in their respective drafts that season. So if you're going to chase a backup running back on his team in the hopes of like landing a breakout and getting one of those hammers at the position that pr provide that positional advantage, it's better to look for an RB2 breaking out from a team that has ambiguity uh, or attachment to a guy who's already being treated as like a tenuous lead back. So, I mean, um, if you t if you remove the two non-pass catching options in this equation that are just pass catchers only, a James White and Tariq Cohen, I mean, some of the backs that kind of fit that mold right now and that strike zone that we're talking about are, you know, J.K. Dobbins, you know, attached to Mark Ingram, uh, a Daryl Henderson attached to Cam Akers, or carry on attached to Swift. Uh, these are running backs going and like lead running backs on, the, on their team going in the fourth round later that we already are kind of sketchy on. Te Tevin Coleman to Raheem Mostert. Uh, whoever we believe Ronald Jones's backup is, uh, Matt Breida to Jordan Howard, um, Antonio Gibson, who now is the lead back now being drafted because, you know, Geis is off the board. Uh, so, I mean, you want to attack, you know, guys that are in ambiguous situations uh, if they're the RB2 on their team. Uh, those are the guys that have paid off the most uh, instead of taking, saying, I'm going to get Alexander Madison. I'm going to get Tony Pollard. And if something happens to Zeke, 
uh, then I've got this home run hitter. Cause it just really hasn't paid off. You might run into a week or two where that can happen, but in terms of having like high leverage, you know, starter for the season, it just has not worked out. Um, you move, and it's something we can't get away from. I mean, you and I remember the days like Ben Tate going in the seventh round uh, Tate, because behind Arian Foster, you know, we've done this with a million guys. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about Ben Tate. My God. <laughs> oh, for years, man. Remember that? The yeah. Ben Tate. Oh. oh, goodness. Yeah, never happened. Never happened. Uh, and then we found out, then he was freed and we found out why he was a backup. Yeah, yeah, Cleveland, right? I think he went to Cleveland. And it was pretty, pretty terrible. Yeah, dude, yeah. he he played with Shanahan and couldn't even pop. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's hard to do. So Ben Tate was was never that guy, but uh, wow, that's a fun name. Um, all right, so let's talk about running back red zone reliance. Or actually, excuse me, we'll we'll do the fantasy points versus expectation in the red zone first, uh, since that's what the show sheet says for me to do. So you obviously wrote an article on this and. Um, you, you, you talked about running backs under and overperforming uh, when they're near the end zone. So who are the, some of the players that maybe stood out to you and uh, in a positive and negative way? Well, I mean, it, you could start at the top and the bottom, the two yin and yang guys of last year, which was Aaron Jones at the top and then Leonard Fournette, who we, who's, who's well-documented at the, at the bottom. I mean, nobody scored more expected points in the red zone last year than Aaron Jones. He outscored his expected point total by 37.4 PPR points, and Leonard Fournette was at a minus 38. Uh, you know, uh, including the postseason Aaron Jones, he had a league-high 16 rushing attempts from just the one or two-yard line like knocking on the door. Those are the ones that you, the bunnies you get from your offense, just getting there. And he converted 50% of those, which actually was a little bit below league rate. So he didn't even run hot in the league rate department, but you know, that's how you get to have all those, all those touchdowns he scored. Uh, and then Leonard Fournette, you know, obviously he was 27th um, in actual red zone scoring output. And then, but he was seventh in expected points scored. And what's funny is he was a good short yardage back prior to last year and had a lot of success his first two years. But uh, he scored in just three of eight carries inside of the five yard line and uh, just three of seven carries in the one or two yard lines. And then through two years, he had scored on 11 of 19 carries inside the five and 10 of 15 from the one or two yard line. Um, and then you look at another guy that ran real hot, and it was, a, it was a small sample over the back half of the season. But only Derrick Henry had as many rushing touchdowns than Raheem Mostert weeks 12 through 17 of the season. Uh, Mostert uh, found the end zone in all six of his final uh, six games the regular season. But his uh, touchdown totals were far above the expected total. He only had three carries inside the 10-yard line of that span, but scored a touchdown in every game. Uh, he had rushing touchdowns from 15, 40, 10, 16, uh, 13 yards, and he had a 35-yard receiving touchdown uh, mixed in. So he, didn't even, he wasn't even getting, like, jammed to thread zone opportunities and still, you know, was, was scoring all these points. And then another guy on the negative end is a guy that is being drafted highly who for two years now in the NFL has really been stymied, uh, you know, near the goal line and short yards, and that's Saquon Barkley. He's been, the past few years, he's finished uh, minus 11 points and minus 16.7 PPR points scored below expectation in the red zone. Uh, through two years, he's converted just six of 23 carries inside of the five-yard line, 26.1%, and uh, six of 14 from the one and two-yard lines, which is 42.8%. League average base rates over that span are 47.3% uh, from the five-yard line and in, and 54.5% uh, from the one and two-yard lines. Now, so Barkley, like, you know, he's one of these guys, the one knock on him coming out was that, you know, he 
tend to, to struggle in short yardage opportunities. He, he's a guy that wants to hit home runs. He wants to bounce the ball. And he hasn't been able to convert these short yardage opportunities. But the good news is no one else in the Giants is getting any of these carries. I mean, uh, last year he had 14 of 17 running back carries in the one or two yard line uh, when he was active, 23 of 26 inside the five. So he's still getting those opportunities, and that's still the name of the game. You want guys that get those opportunities. But through two years, he's lived uh, below expectations. And, you know, hopefully we get them to revert, uh, you know, uh, moving forward uh, and run into a high touchdown, uh, touchdown total season. We're just not counting on Saquon to have these 40-yard touchdown runs. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you you obviously don't believe they brought in Deion Lewis, Deion Lewis to be the full linebacker, apparently. So. <laughs> yeah, no. Unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, you, you brought up a name that we haven't really talked about at all on the show in Leonard Fournette. Um, and based on, like, what he did last year versus um, his other years in the league, especially down in the red zone, are you are you somebody who's kind of behind Leonard Fournette uh, at his ADP right now? Uh, no, because he's fallen into that strike zone we said that typically we want to avoid. So, like – and he's just also a conundrum on a conundrum because, you know, obviously if he was locked into this rookie contract and we believed he had the all up road up the most faith, like the, uh, the organization was showing the most faith that the, you could show in a player. Uh, and we believe that all his touch counts were going to stay similar. Like that would be a chance where we'd say, yeah, we'd really be banging home on this regression factor for the Jaguars rushing touchdowns and him in particular. But there are just so many narratives surrounding Leonard Fournette that are really tough to, to ignore as potential red flags. You know, is, this, is he someone that's going to get traded at some point during the season? You know, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. They also really didn't, uh, you know, bring in anyone in to threaten him either. And even though he's probably a good bet to lose passing down work to a guy like Chris Thompson, I mean, if you're going to lose passing down work to a guy, you might as well lose it to a guy that has only played one full season in his NFL <laughs> career. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's – I mean, it's, it's tough to know where the organization stands with him. It's tough to know if he's going to get the same usage, especially in the passing game. Uh, you know, if Jay Gruden is a guy that's going to incorporate him, you know, he's a little more pass heavier on the offensive play calling front. They're going to be terrible too. They're, I think they're pretty open about being terrible. And, and when they struggled down the back half last year when they just couldn't score, uh, you know, they were they – they didn't score 20 or more points in a game – uh, their last seven games until they until week 17. And over that stretch, Leonard Fournette was a top 20 PPR scoring back in just one of his final seven games played. So if they're going to be this terrible again, and we don't really know where the touches are going to fall for him, uh, he makes it tough. Uh, I mean, maybe he's this year's Kenyon Drake where he struggles halfway through the year. They are able to move him and he goes to a team that had either had a running back injury or is lackluster because you have to assume they're a contending team so they're good and capable of scoring points and he runs into a situation where he can be productive again um but yeah I kind of you know keep going one foot in one foot out I feel like there's a lot of risk in into where he still goes now Denny Carter is in a draft that we did last week where he got him in the sixth round like by all means by all means (laughs) go ahead man swing away Merrill uh (laughs) at that point that's stupid, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting. He just falls in that strike zone where I'm largely avoiding the running back position in totality, so I don't draft yeah. a lot of him and don't talk myself into him a lot. But if he's able to sustain his touch rate that he had last year where, you know, in, team, in percentage of teams' touches and running back touches, only Christian McCaffrey had dominated his backfield more than Leonard Fournette did, uh, maybe he can run into something here and be an extreme value. Yeah, I just, I mean, it just, it, I think it just – boggles my mind sort of that people are worried about Chris Thompson when 
this guy hasn't played a, a full season and who knows how long. And um, once he goes down, I mean, Fournette's like their only option. So, I mean, that that was the only reason I posted. And we, we, we literally haven't talked about Fournette at all on the show. So I was just, I was just curious on your take. I kind of mm-hmm. knew what it was, but um, you, and you touched about uh, running back red zone reliance. Um, when we were talking about the expected fantasy points um, versus expectation in the red zone, uh, you talked about Saquon Barkley. Um, who are the, who are some other backs that, or some players that they need their offense to get, you know, to, to that five yard line, to the one yard line, um, to score any sort of fantasy points for us. Yeah. Well, Fournette is one. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, of players that, yeah, of players that have had double digit rushing touchdowns in their career to date, uh, nobody has relied on a, a higher percentage of touchdowns to come from the one or two yard line than Leonard Fournette at uh, 70.6%. 88.2% of his career rushing touchdowns have come from five yards or closer. That's also the highest rate of any back with uh, double digit career rushing touchdowns. Uh, right below him is David Johnson. 66.7% of his career rushing touchdowns have come from one or two yards. 76 have come from five yards and in. The interesting thing about David Johnson is like he's a really explosive back in the passing game and he has been even through last year but his it's really never even translated to his rushing the rushing component of his game even when you go back to his massive 2016 season when he was the fantasy MVP that year he had 16 rushing touchdowns that year but 10 of those 16 came from two yards or closer 12 of the 16 came from four yards are in uh check this out David Johnson has not scored a rushing touchdown from further than six yards out uh since week 15 of the 2016 season uh he I mean, no explosive runs. I mean, that's how you see him. I mean, he's – we'll talk about David Johnson, I think, a little bit later. I think we have him in a this or that segment. But there's just, he has had no explosive plays in the run game, you know, uh, since that 2016 season. And even in that 2016 season, wasn't providing scoring – long scoring runs. And I think another guy that's probably uh, interesting as well uh, is Joe Mixon. Uh, you know, uh, 76% uh, of his 17 rushing scores have come from five yards or in. Uh, that trails only Sony Michelle uh, and Leonard Fournette uh, with uh, double-digit scores. Uh, just two of his career rushing touchdowns have come from outside of the 10-yard line. His career long is 15-yard touchdown run. Uh, he's not the archetype you would think. Like We think of Joe Mixon as an explosive player, and he was that in college, and we've seen the Bengals not use him in the passing game like he was used in Oklahoma. Uh, so he's, it's, you know, it's, that's how he ends up having such a disappointing season. Like last year, the front half is because, you know, he needed those bunnies to score and he wasn't providing, you know, those, those long touchdown runs to, as a get out of jail free card, like a guy like Saquon can do, uh, which is interesting because I don't think anyone thinks of Joe Mixon like that. We think of him as, a, as an explosive back. Uh, those just haven't translated yet uh, in the three years of his career so far. Nice. Um, we, and I know you hate these these kind of scoring scoring leagues where you get bonuses for you know hundred plus yards or uh, <laughs> yardage bonuses. But uh, give me one or two guys that have these big but big bonuses with added distance scoring in play. So one guy double dips. There's a player that double dips on both, uh, and it's Derrick Henry. I think that's what makes him so unique, and he's kind of a yeah. unicorn of his in his own right. Like you know, talk about just the stature and everything else. But what makes him so interesting is that one, he's a touchdown machine. He scored a touchdown period in 45 
uh, percent of his career games played uh, in the regular season. And he scored a touchdown 18 of his past 25 regular season games. So you're getting a lot of touchdowns. But what's wild is he's sixth uh, amongst these active backs uh, in average rushing touchdown length for his career. And when you factor in his sample, this is a player that has 15 touchdowns, rushing touchdowns, just from the one-yard line. And he's still sixth in career average uh, rushing touchdown length. He led the league in touchdown runs of 10 or more yards again last year with seven. Uh, he only has three career, career receiving touchdowns too, but they're from 75 yards, 66 yards out and 23 yards out. So not only is he like the, like a, a great goal line back, but he's also like, he, he's a great long distance scorer as well, which would make him wild. And then we talk, we talk about Saquon, he's number one in average length of touchdown run so far. And we talked about part of that is parlayed into his struggles near the goal line that he's reliant on those touchdowns a little more, but the player that behind him is Kenyon Drake. And we've seen that kind of oscillate back with just more opportunities through 54 career games with the Dolphins. Kenyon Drake had just five total carries from five yards or closer to the end zone. That's it through five through 54 games. And he had just one converted for a touchdown. He played eight games with the Arizona Cardinals last year. He, and he had eight carries from the five yards line, line and in and converted six of them for touchdowns. But he still did show, he still had that home run ability, even with the Cardinals. I mean, he had a 17 yard touchdown run uh, and an 80 yard touchdown run against your, Seattle Seahawks, which was my favorite end zone celebration of the year when he broke into the safe. That was my favorite end zone celebration last year. Uh, But you see, yeah, that that, that opportunity. But he provides some distance scoring as well. So, I mean, uh, if you're in those leagues, you know, a guy like Kenyon Drake has a little little bonus for you. Yeah, and so – and there's another guy that you haven't haven't talked about at all, um, but I thought you were going to mention his name a few times here um, just based on the big play bonuses and then not doing so well around the goal line, and that's Nick Chubb. Is that somebody you're in or out on this year? I am – Interested because he seems to be like the guy that falls. Uh, but like you said, it depends on how, how far he slips and depends if I'm in a full PPR league and what I'm looking at building. But I am interested. He is definitely on there. Uh, you know, I just didn't pull a note a note for him. But, you know, in terms of average length of career touchdown, he's third on that same list we talked about. And we know last year where he struggled, you know, near the goal line, he ran really cold. Uh, in the goal line and expected points he's at the bottom near Leonard Fournette but he had all the opportunities last year still even with um, Kareem Hunt in the fold he still dominated all the opportunities near the goal line Uh, you know you look at the um, he had 10 of 12 team carries uh, with Kareem Hunt active mind you inside the five yard line Uh, and Kareem Hunt had zero carries uh, from the one or two yard line Uh, so I mean he's still getting those opportunities will they will this current new staff use him uh, in that capacity, we would think, but, uh, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think talent pers- from a talent perspective, uh, you know, I'm still in on Nick Chubb. I don't think that they're, uh, as a pure runner, uh, there are many, many guys that rival his ability. Uh, you know, you look at since he started from week seven of his rookie year, only Christian McCaffrey and Ezekiel Elliott have more rushing yards than Nick Chubb. Uh, and more yards from scrimmage than him. So, I mean, he is a guy that is, is great in the running game. We just have to see where his passing game usage lies. And he's a guy that profiles, too. Like, he should be good at converting goal line carries. Right. So, it's not like, you know, I mean, it's, it's not – I think he's just, you know, he ran cold last year, and that happens, ran into high variance. But he's a guy I definitely would say – if he keeps continues getting the usage near the goal line that he's had so far, he will be a guy that has a big touchdown season in him. All right, so gun to your head, like two point. You're at two oh eight. Nick Chubb's there. Like, are you dropping? Oh, him? oh yeah, two oh eight. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I, 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 <laughs> like, 
He's <laughs> dropping to the end of the second like a lot now, I feel like. I mean, I'm all the way in there, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I can get a guy that can threaten for almost 300 full touches uh, yeah. in this in this economy, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to do it. And, and he, it's not far-fetched that he leads the league in rushing either. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's – yeah, I mean that's it's at late second. I'm mid second. I'm good. So, I'm I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad we agreed on that guy. So, um, all right. So here we go. My favorite game. It's vacation. We're gonna play a little bit of this or that. Boom. You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. You can get with this, or you can get with that. I can get with this, cause this is where it's at. You can get with this. Let's start out hot here, Rich. Um, two two guys that have just moved. Up uh, into like basically mid, mid first round draft picks now in redraft. We're going to talk about Mr. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, RB7 right now, versus Miles Sanders, RB8. Me personally, I really want to go um, CH, but I have to go Miles Sanders. Um, love his talent. Um, I, they're, they're, they're spreading him out into the slot now uh, where he just nobody can cover him there. Um, I don't think there's really anybody that can um, eat into much of his carries. They have a young uh, receiving core that they're going to rely on. Um, you know, when you're looking at the Chiefs, you know, they have Kelsey, they got Hill, they got Watkins, they have others that um, I just feel like there's more touchdown ups- upside. There's, and Miles Sanders is just the better talent overall. I love Miles Sanders, um, and I'm okay with his current ADP. I'm okay with both their ADPs, but give me Miles Sanders first. You know, I was, you know, uh, thinking, like, do I make the move and move Sanders ahead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Um, it's it's that, really tough. This is, is that, like, fire take or what? No, I mean, uh, I think I think it's definitely probably the more uncommon side, but I've actually been debating this back and forth, you know, because they're so close to my projections. And like you said, I feel like Sanders is going to be needed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you it's hard to get away from, like, that Chiefs running back usage. I mean, Andy Reid's – in 16 years as a head coach play caller, I mean, his top running back has been a top 10 score 12 times. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get away from that. Uh, you know, you talk about Damian Williams opting out, and then you look at Damian Williams himself when he – was just healthy and they went to him. I mean, he averaged 23 PPR points per game last year in the final seven full games that he played as the lead back. And you see what a guy like he could do. I will take the under on CEH getting the 325 touch mark that Kareem Hunt had as a rookie. I mean, you go back to that season, the second highest running back in carries was Sharkandrick West that season with 18. I definitely think another Chiefs back will have more 18 carries this year. Um, the interesting thing about Clyde Tiller is like uh, the narrative for him is that he was propped up by the LSU, you know, record-breaking offense. And granted, he was. He was a he was a product that was climbing a little bit. And and you know what? He's going to be proud. Uh, you know, the the Chiefs offense is going to help him here as well. But I think also on his own merit. Clyde Edwards Hilaire, when you look at him compared to his teammates, though, he had an 8.5% uh, increased gap from team yardage producers as running attempts, rushing attempts for non quarterback carries. And his plus 2. Point yards per, 2.0 yards per carry compared to his running back teammates was also tops in this draft class. So, yeah, the LSU climate was really good for him, but he was also better than any other LSU running back that touched the football. It wasn't like they just could have plugged in another one of these guys and they were Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So, it does speak to his own merit that he was efficient on his own. Both are allowed to be true that LSU you helped him and that he was also good I look at Miles Sanders though too and I just think that like actually he might he has a shot I think maybe to out target Clyde Rich which I think would probably 
like you, well, it's like you said, I mean, we know the target, we know Tyree kills getting targets. We know Travis Kelsey's getting targeted. We know that they're going to give targets to McCole Hardman and then you're going to give targets to Sammy Watkins in some capacity or a combination of targets. We know Zach Ertz is getting targets in Philadelphia and everyone else is kind of a mystery. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's really, you look at Sanders and, you know, the, the, I think everyone's kind of like thrown the running back committee thing finally out of the window. He was the first back to have more than 200 touches on a season under Doug Peterson. So he took over in Philadelphia for 2016. Also Doug Peterson comes from the Andy Reid coaching tree. Uh, you know, he came from Kansas city. Um, but you look at just the backs that, you know, Doug Peterson's had in Philadelphia. They've had Darren Sproles, Wendell Smallwood, Corey Clement uh, as pass catchers, isolated running game only backs in LeGarrette Blount, Jordan Howard, Josh Adams, Jay Ajayi. The closest the Eagles have had any to any type of a three-down back under Doug Peterson is Ryan Matthews, who was bounced out of the league due to neck injury. So Sanders is the closest thing they've ever had. They, the reason they had running back by committee is because they had a bunch of committee backs. Uh, you know, and Sanders is kind of the one guy. I mean, you can point to the front half of last season where he was a rookie and didn't run away from the job as being saying, well, he had Sanders last year. And that is absolutely true. But I think he, he earned a lot of that trust that last season and they didn't bring anybody in. And we're going to see that go. But the reason is that you brought up the passing game. I mean, he, he already had 63 targets in like a partial season. Um, he was just one of two running backs to average at least, you know, 10 yards perception with over 40 catches last season. Uh, and he was eighth of all running backs in air yards. So, I mean, the, the, he's getting vertical targets too. I mean, we've seen him score twice on those wheel routes where they're running that fake jet, jet motion. Uh, Damian, Damian, man. That's what everybody loves Damian Williams. The Damian Williams play is that, that, that wheel route, right? Yeah, I think it's – I mean, I think that he has a shot to maybe out target Clyde Edwards Slayer, which I think, uh, you know, probably is a, is kind of a, a hot take in itself. So, uh, I have no pushback on there. Right now, I have Clyde Edwards one spot higher. They're back-to-back, just like these fantasy pro industry ranked. But I've been kind of thinking, like, is, is Sanders a better bet because he's probably going to be, you know, needed within his offense more. I mean, if the Chiefs just successfully can't run at all, like, their offense is going to be good still. Right. Like, if none of these Eagles' backs are good – are the Eagles offense is the Eagles offense going to be good? And that's the question. Uh, I right. mean, I, so I think like that, you know, Sanders is really going to be needed, uh, which maybe, you know, provide a little bit more of that upside. So I have no, no pushback uh, uh, on that. Well, let's, I mean, let's, if, if you're getting either of these guys, you're happy. <laughs> first round I mean, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs anyway. Um, let's move on to the next ones. We, we mentioned uh, Mr. Nick Chubb a little bit earlier. Currently going off, as, like I said, as the RB14, Leighton Drafts, Josh Jacobs, RB13. I am personally a Nick Chubb fanboy. I've always loved Nick Chubb. I've always loved him since Georgia. Um, I think he uh, kind of gets back to uh, that positive regression, we love to say, um, near the goal line. Um, I don't. I wish they would use him in the passing game more, obviously. And I, wish they would use, I wish the Raiders would use Josh Jacobs more in the passing game. But let's right. be honest. They drafted Lynn Bowden. They re-signed Jalen Richard. Um, I don't see it happening for Josh Jacobs. I don't. I don't think he's going to get sixty receptions this year. So I'm going to go with Nick yeah. Chubb. 
Uh, same. I think it's it's hard to buy the narrative for Jacobs. I mean, only Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb rushed for more yardage per game than Jacobs did his rookie season. Um, and, you know, he was a missed tackle savant last year. But his 2.8 receiving points per game were 55th at the position. 81.9% uh, of his fantasy output came via rushing. Amongst the top 24 backs, only Marlon Mack and Derrick Henry were as dependent on his rushing for fantasy production than Josh Jacobs. And you look at his usage and his splits compared to when the Raiders were tied in the head on the scoreboard versus trailing. When they were tied or ahead, he had 47.8% of the Raiders' offensive touches. When they were trailing at any point, and these are only the games he played too because he did miss time, uh, he only touched the ball on 32.3% of the Raiders' touches. The massive drop-off to how he was used per game script. And you said, like, where are the targets going to go? How is he going to get to 60 targets when you add Henry Ruggs, you add Brian Edwards, you add Lynn Bowden, um, you add Catch Babies, Nelson Aguilar, you re-sign Jalen Rashard. How does he get there? Why does he get there? It, does, it really seems nonsensical to buy anything that they're saying, even if he's used a little more. He can have an increase and still be you know, way low, like we've seen with Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's increased his receptions every season in the NFL. They still haven't mattered. Uh, yeah. And then I think, too, when you look at Josh Jacobs in totality, the open, of his, the open of the schedule for the Raiders and believing that Josh Jacobs is going to be used in this capacity is really hard. So he's got a great, fantastic week one matchup, the matchup we want to target for everybody this year, the Carolina Panthers. Out of the box, phenomenal, slam dunk. He'll be probably a top five running back week one, uh, at least in industry rankings. But then the Raiders play New Orleans, New England, Buffalo, Kansas City, bye week in Tampa Bay. They're not going to be favored in any of those games. New England, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay are projected to be some of the best run defenses in the NFL. So even if he's going to get run carries and the games are, are close, he's going to have you know really tough matchups as well. Um, so if the game script hits there, I mean, you might be running out of the first seven weeks of the NFL season, including his bye, where you're, week one you feel really good about him and he's an RB1. And then you have a real dead spot to where he's probably a friend he's in the RB2 zone for sure. And you're really going to be dependent on him catching a, uh, falling into the end zone and catching a touchdown, uh, not receiving a touchdown, but catching a, you know, catching a break and falling into the end zone. Uh, one, maybe after, you know, pass interference and getting to the doorstep. So he's a guy I looked at, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Jacob struggles the front half of the season and then comes on and when their schedule opens up and they have some more, uh, you know, positive game script over the back half of the season. Um, Chubb's in a similar boat. You know, we've seen that when Hunt came, came on. I mean, he only had 22.7 receiving points total with Kareem Hunt uh, active as opposed to 41.4 through the air over the front half. The thing is, we just have no idea how this Browns scenario is going to play out. We've seen a lot of guesswork. Kevin Stefanski's called games in the NFL for 21 games in, in the NFL, in his NFL career. Uh, and, you know, in last season, they had to use their backs in the capacity because they had one healthy receiver the whole season. It's, you know, it's tough to say like they're he's going to use Kareem Hunt and Chubb like the previous Browns regime did, or he's going to do something similar than he did with Minnesota. We just really don't know, but I do know that they are going to run the football and, you know, giving his, you know, Gary Kubiaki and lineage, uh, they're going to run the football. Nick Chubb's going to get a lot of carries. And if that scoring recession pops, he has a little bit out better outlook schedule wise. He did go into concussion protocol this week, but obviously we're three weeks out from the season. I don't think that's going to impact week one, but maybe it has a conditioning impact and we see those guys maybe split a little bit more uh, early in the season. But I am also a, a Nick Chubb over Josh Jacobs guy. Good. And it's like, I mean, I love Josh Jacobs, the talent. Like, I just, oh, yeah, he's, he's you know, like I say the way they use him, right? Um, I mean, it's just tough to buy in to, to saying, even all they're saying all the right things, it's just tough to buy giving all the personnel moves they made. Yeah. No. Um, and, you know, increased targets. Like, you just don't force Josh Jacobs 60 targets when you add all the all these other players. 
and you right. still have Darren right. Waller. Right. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Darren Waller, and that's just another person that's going to take take away on our plus targets. So, um, following knife bell cows, uh, these are guys that we obviously don't want to draft. It feels a little gross drafting at this point in in, in twenty twenty, but. Let's go. Todd Gurley, RB15 versus Leonard Fournette, RB16 versus Le'Veon Bell, <laughs> RB18 versus David Johnson, RB21. We got, man. Oh, God, this is gross. Like I said, this is the strike zone. So we're twisting our arms. This is, the, this is the strike zone of guys we want to avoid. I think it's easy from a team stance to point to, to you know, Todd Gurley, like being the most, having the most like path. You know, but he obviously comes with the concerns. Right. You know, being only 26 years old, playing with an Atlanta offense that is we know is going to be high scoring and not really having a lot on the depth chart. We just don't know what kind of workload. You know, we've already heard the word workload, the phrase workload management around him. He didn't practice today because of that. Uh, just how much is it is going to be a scare? We saw the reports of the, him having a limp, you know, a couple days ago. But who – I mean, it's tough to, to, to go with, like, opinion-based camp narratives either, too. We want stuff uh, rooted in some facts. Um, I saw a thing with Ben Roethlisberger, too, about someone said that he didn't have the arm strength that uh, he thought he would have, but all, no one else has reported it, just one guy. So it's, like, it's hard to really, like, take these opinion-based narratives and run with them. I think he's definitely got the best layout. He creeps up to a point, though, where he's hard to take uh, in terms of ADP. Uh, I think Le'Veon Bell is the safest workload. Like if you're just saying who, which one of these guys, the best bet, I don't care what they do. I don't care about the efficiency. If I just had a bet on who's going to get the most touches, I think it's probably Le'Veon Bell as, as your safest bet. He had 311 touches last year. He could catch the ball. He's just a terrible fit for that team, right. that team's offensive line. You think of his rushing style, that patient want to wait for a crevice to open up that nooks and cranny running style. And when you have an offensive line that can't block and is allowing dudes in the backfield, uh, you know, before a running back can do that and has time to kind of probe a defense, it's terrible. It takes away his best asset. And this is a team that's going to be starting, you know, all new offensive linemen across the board again this year. So it's really tough to adjust, but I think he's the best bet in terms of touches. Um, I think if you squint, you can see David Johnson playing with Deshaun Watson and maybe running into something. But like I said, I mean, I am really scared that David Johnson is completely washed as a running back. Uh, in terms of actually carrying the football. I mean, 3.7, 3.6 yards per carry the past two years. We talked about no explosive runs in his game at all. Um, but he's been really good in the pass game still. And he was a really good in the pass game at the front half last year before he just got hurt uh, when he caught 30 passes uh, for 350 yards and three touchdowns. And he still averaged over 10 yards per catch or right under there. And he's averaged 11 yards per catch for his career. He just maybe needs kind of a position change, uh, you know, in, in a sense. But uh, – so if you twist my arm, I think I would probably go Le'Veon and just hold my nose with the touches. Um, but I don't feel good about any of these guys. Right. I mean, I don't think, I, I don't think we're going to be drafting any of them, but uh, you never know. I mean, I'm probably taking David Johnson just because he's the latest. And I really, I kind of like his fit in Houston. I kinda, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what he can do with Watson. I hope that he still has that pass game um, effectiveness that you've talked about. Um, and he's able to uh, to make some plays. So I'm gonna I'm, I'll I'll go with David Johnson there as the RB21 just because he's the latest and that's more palatable for me. Uh, discounted RB1s. Um, let's go with David Montgomery. He's currently going as the RB24 versus Devin Singletary. Uh, I hate to say this because I'm I love Devin Singletary, but I have to go with David Montgomery just because I know the opportunity is going to be there. Um, he looks good. Apparently he's 
he's uh, trimmed down. He's faster somehow. I don't know how you get faster just by trimming down, but that apparently that's how it works. Um, but David, we we know the opportunities there. They're going to use him uh, probably more often and on the field more than Devin Singletary will be. So I'll go with him just based off opportunity. But I I don't love either this year. I am also going to go Montgomery, like you said. It's just easy to project the the touches for him. Uh, he surprisingly also was seventh amongst all running backs in air yards last year, even though he had just 35 targets, uh, which was 40th right. in the position. Yeah, he was seventh in air yards despite being uh, 40th in tar- overall targets at the position. Kind of interesting, David Montgomery nugget. Um, uh, he was 23rd in routes run, too, which is, which is pretty interesting, Weird. even with Tariq Cohen, even playing alongside Tariq yeah. Cohen. Uh, and the Bears also have our sixth lightest schedule versus forecasted wins uh, this season. So maybe they can run a positive game script and he stays in the field. I mean, Cohen is a capper, though, a ceiling capper for him. Uh, you know, and you know, Cohen's a guy that's going to command 80-plus targets and really going to cut into his receiving upside. But, uh, you know, the touchdown opportunities will be there. He might not have as many touches or uh, – yeah, I, I just think he's more projectable for touches even than Devin Singletary. But he just has more scoring opportunities. When you look at Devin Singletary, he only had two, a team, the team's 18 carries inside the five last year. I also think the Bills just use Devin Singletary correctly, and that's why they want to keep him in the same role. You know, I mean, you look at last year, um, even at the stretch, he had, he had 18.9 touches per game over his final nine games. I think they want to reduce that a little bit. But he was fourth among all running backs in explosive rushing play rate at 16% of his carries. Um, and he was sixth among all running backs in yards before contact uh, before carry at 2.7. And it's because they ran him a ton out of 11 personnel. He faced just eight or more men in the box on 5.3% of his carries. It was the lowest rate in the NFL. They used him correctly. That's, they, they maximized, you know, Devin Singletary a guy who was a polarizing prospect, but the way they used him was absolutely correct to maximize his production. So why would they want to go away from that if they already kind of unlocked what he's best at? So that's what I think is, is good that he's going to, he has a chance to remain efficient and be an efficient back, but it also hurts his chances of, you know, probably scoring touchdowns. Uh, you know, one Josh Allen is kind of like the new Cam Newton near the goal line. And then, you know, they've got a tour, they had a tour 22 pound guy in Zach Moss and then the other thing is too is that the Bills just haven't really thrown to their backs a lot so far and Josh Allen hasn't targeted his running backs he's been below rate both these uh, opening two seasons but uh, maybe they can get him involved in the passing game a little bit more but I also think it's interesting because he wasn't that good of a receiver as a rookie and Zach Moss was a really good receiver coming out of college so maybe Moss actually cuts into his receiving work more than you would think just based on pure archetype of a 220 pound back versus a 200 pound back um, but I'm gonna go with Dave Montgomery here too yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go with the rookie battles. So this one I was actually surprised about because uh, I'm pretty sure Cam Akers has been going before DeAndre Swift in a lot of these drafts. But apparently right now, DeAndre Swift, current RB27 going off in Cam Akers versus – or at RB29. Um, who you got here? Yeah, well, these are ranks, not ADP. These are the industry oh, rankings. Rank. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I was like, I'm pretty sure these are – not right, but I was, I was just going to go with it because I'm on vacation <laughs> doing any research. Research on yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are yeah, these are the current industry rankings okay. right now. Um, this is a, I mean, this is an interesting one. There's a lot of layers to it. Uh, you know, obviously, I think they're both pretty solid prospects. Uh, I think we were just looking at like a situational stance, like so. Even both these offensive lines, like one was 19th and one was 20th, in terms of. <laughs> In terms of adjusted, you know, yards created at Football Outsiders. So I think for me, what it comes down to, and, and oh, what's funny too, is that you've got a Rams team that's due passing touchdown reversion. 
52.4% of their touchdowns offensively last year were passing last year. That was 31st in the league. And then 80% of the Detroit touchdowns were passing, which was second in the league. So if Detroit do for more rushing touchdowns, the Rams do for more passing touchdowns. But, I mean, to me, I keep getting caught up on Matt Patricia and, right. you know, him kind of wanting and, and suggesting there's going to be a running back by committee. Uh, and then carry on Johnson as competition versus, you know, Daryl Henderson and Malcolm Brown, uh, where, you know, carry on Johnson was just the second round pick a couple years ago. And I, I mean, I guess Daryl Henderson was last year too, but yeah. uh, carry on at least has showed something in the NFL. It hasn't been like the most amazing, but he's actually shown to be at least a tangible back in competition where Daryl Henderson has got get 43 carries as a rookie or 43 touches as a rookie. Um, and then also just believing more in Sean McVay than I do the, you know, the mind trust in Daryl Bevel and, you know, uh, Detroit. So uh, there are a lot of like pulling forces. I think it's very close. I think what it comes down to for me though, is just trusting acres um, opportunity a little bit more because I, I believe less in Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown than I do carry on Johnson. And then Sean McVay being able to work around something that doesn't work as well, like talent, like he's been able to work around golf. Uh, and then necessarily not even having the most explosive receivers. I mean, he's made Robert Woods and Cooper Cup excellent NFL players, and those are guys that, you know, aren't like alpha-wide receiver types. They've been excellent real-life receivers and uh, fantasy receivers. Uh, just having a little bit more faith, I guess, in Sean McVay. Um, so I'll give the edge to Akers. I mean, I, I, I probably do too, and you make a, good, a lot of good points, but I, I can see a path where DeAndre, DeAndre Swift is the best running back in the class for this year. And it's because Karen Johnson isn't healthy. I just, I just don't know. Ty Johnson isn't the answer if, if Karen Johnson goes down. I don't see, I don't see a scenario where if Karen Johnson isn't healthy, even to start the season, where DeAndre Swift isn't a huge part of that offense, um, and where I can see Cam Akers just being this committee all, all year long and just kind of frustrating to own. Um, I think the ceiling is there for Swift. I think the floor is there for Akers. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm leaning I'm leaning Swift, but um, I mean I'm I'm kind of okay with their current ranks and ADPs right now. I'll draft probably either in that sixth round if or seventh round if I can. Hopefully seventh or seventh. Um, but yeah, I think I'll go Swift just for the ceiling. I'm glad I got to hop on with you. Uh, we we got to get a show in before before uh, I I start drinking. I got. I have no wine in my glass. I've been wineless for 30, almost 30 minutes here, Rich. So um, before everybody goes, make sure you please go into our podcast, wherever you listen to it, you are rating, you're reviewing, subscribing, please. It really helps us out. We love it. We are reading every single uh, review that you guys do send. So we love those. Um, you can throw chat in every now and again, just saying, um, <laughs> <laughs> make sure you're going to the book <laughs> to the website get that book um and again um the fantasy content it's gonna be lit this year uh go go over there go check it out subscribe rich is killing it he is one of the most trusted people in the fantasy industry with your lineups and again that worksheet's coming up in like three weeks you're gonna want to be a part of that right i mean it's coming rich that worksheet's coming man Oh, I cannot wait to not sleep anymore. <laughs> it's coming, man. So, uh, yeah, if you, do you have anything else to add before we get out of here? Nope, just, you know, hopefully no, you know, just keep an eye on all the news and follow all these, uh, you know, camp reports. Uh, keep your ears glued. Remember, if you're following camp reports, look for actual reporting uh, opinion. over opinions. 
Yep. Remember that. If you're looking for where guys are playing uh, in their offense, depth chart-wise, uh, things like that, or injury updates, stuff like that. But definitely if it's something rooted in opinion, like I believe this guy can have 1,000 yards or this guy looks great, that's stuff you throw out the window. So definitely right. reporting first over opinion. Yeah, so like always look at any blurb objectively, not subjectively. So um, that is it for the show tonight. Make sure you are going on Twitter and you're following Rich. He is at Lord Reeves. I am at Chad underscore Scott 13. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Later.